digital dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection Podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark. Two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you, so why not write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. And now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. Joe, it's a very, very special occasion. Yes, it's it's the time for Retro Review. And it's technically the newest game we've ever reviewed. But <laughs> it is a remaster of several old games put into one. Yes, technically. Technically, it is, mm-hmm. it is a collection of games that came out starting in 2009. But... For those of you who are watching the video version of this, you're in for a treat. Yes, it is time for us to talk about Assassin's Creed, the Ezio collection. But Joe, tonight, we podcast in the dark to serve the light. (laughs) That we do. And neither of us are dressed as the proper assassin. And I'm actually kind of sad that I forgot that I had this when we did the retro review for Assassin's Creed 3. Because now I'm, I feel like I'm overdressed, and I was underdressed before. Just completely doing the wrong occasion here. I mean, look at it. I mean, I'm sitting over here. I'm dual wielding <laughs> flintlock pistols. <laughs> Almost for nothing. Because there's no revolution coming right now. But, if that wasn't enough, I also have the trusty, the trusty tomahawk right here. Oh, yes. Ready to go. But, you know... Wrong assassin, but hey, you know what? Maybe it's like the other assassins coming to honor, who is probably considered to be uh, the greatest assassin of the series. So, you know, oh. yep. Here we- Hood's coming off. It's just too hot for that. Oh, yeah, it's way too warm. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. It's actually funny timing that we did this because it is the 15th mm-hmm. anniversary of Assassin's Creed as a property. And mm-hmm. there's going to be a whole bunch of tie-ins with you know past and present assassins and all yeah. that good stuff. So it's actually you know not the the worst thing we've ever done in terms of dress. No, yes. no, no, no. Mm-hmm. And for the anniversary, they just announced like what a swath of new like Assassin's Creed games too. So that's pretty yeah. big. We're finally getting Feudal Japan because no one's been asking for that since the franchise came out, you know, forever ago. So we finally get that. But, yeah, very exciting times, and what better way to honor that than looking back to the, not the assassin that started it all, but definitely the one that put the franchise on the map. Yeah, I mean, it's not quite going all the way back to Altaieri bin Lahad, the youngest master assassin of all time, but this is my favorite assassin, Joe, Mm -hmm. as, as you remember. We did start off this season with Assassin's Creed 3, the very first retro review of season 2. And now mm-hmm. it's, it feels like we're coming full circle. Like this is on that yeah. theoretical whiteboard that we have. Like this was the episode where I'm like, 
Yes. It's, it's yes. here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that one up there on the board. That's the one I want. And I've been waiting. <laughs> been waiting patiently. Yep. Yes, this this is your Gundam episode, and I'm very excited. Oh. Mm-hmm. So many so many Ezio like lines are going to come out tonight, and some are going to just be whatever I come up with. But either way, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so, but hey, you know what? In the spirit of retro reviews, mm-hmm. this is kind of an interesting one, and I apologize that this is conceptual in some ways because usually we focus on one game. Well, mm-hmm. tonight we're going to be focusing on three games. Yeah. We got you for three games. So <laughs> that's what we're doing on yes. that side of things. Yes, yeah. because it is the Ezio Trilogy remaster we're looking at here. So it was three games on one disc for the price of like 1.5 games, I think, is what they charged for this when it was brand new. If even, because I like Assassin's Creed games are almost like the Madden series, where if you just wait a half a year, you will get them at discount price because another one's coming right up. Yeah, it's very true. Mm-hmm. And in this case, this was a part of that Assassin's Creed history that did kind of split some people because we did get annual releases, right? Like, it was mm-hmm. literally every year that we were getting another game. But, you know, for me, I actually kind of appreciate it because this was a good time for me, all right? The year was 2009 when the first one came out. And uh, in the in the spirit of other retro reviews that we've done we usually talk about the, like the state of gaming at that point in time yeah we don't mm-hmm. we don't have that much time because we're trying to squeeze in three games but yes. mm-hmm. in 2009 we had some very important properties come out we had batman arkham asylum huge we had mm-hmm. yep yep we had uh infamous very uh, good the, mm-hmm. if you remember you remember prototype at all prototype is a fun game i don't know if you've played it I, I never played it, but it was definitely one where it came out. It had a good amount of hype to it, and like it was one where I think it just kind of like it looked really similar to Infamous and in, like the way it was appeared in the trailers. Yeah. So when it came to buying like one of the two, because this is definitely college territory, and funding was was very limited when it came to things that were not education or beer. So we we we, we made decisions and we oh, went yeah. with Infamous. Mm-hmm. Not a bad decision, you know. No. Uh, rapid firing the last in here. We've got League of Legends, we got Borderlands, Minecraft, yeah. and of course, Ghostbusters the video game. Uh, which... Yes, that was also on the priority list of buying things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, if you are unfamiliar with the host of the podcast, uh, Mark is prone to sweating in most temperatures, climates, and environments. So even in his own air-conditioned home, wearing too many layers is very rough. So Mark has de-assassined himself. <laughs> uh, yeah. Whereas I'm the opposite, and I run very cold, so this is toasty and great for me. I might just sleep in this thing tonight. Yeah, if you watch the video program, you'll notice that my <laughs> assassin's garb is noticeably gone. <laughs> you can only wear that stuff for so long. And that has real oh, leather yeah. on it, by the way. Like, That's actual true. leather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> All right. We'll tell you what. Let's dive right in because mm-hmm. we don't have a whole lot of time. we got to figure out a way mm-hmm. to get three games crammed into it. Now, when I look back at Assassin's Creed 2, I actually think that this is where I have the most amount of nostalgia for this series, even though I loved Assassin's Creed 1. But, Joe, what what are your thoughts on, on Assassin's Creed 2? Just kind of early thoughts. 
Well, even like playing this game for the first time when it wasn't even in the Ezio trilogy, because obviously like we, we both bought this game pretty much immediately and just jumped right in, plowed through the game as fast as we could. Not as fast as we could, but we, we jumped in because of how much we really loved the nostalgia. Uh, this coming out, definitely, it felt like when you have the developer actually listen, kind of almost like when Sonic got so many downvotes on YouTube, like, oh, we can't, we can't release this movie, we have to change the way Sonic looks. That's kind of what Assassin's Creed 2 did with the Assassin's Creed franchise, is they heard about uh, a few of the complaints about the first series, about the, about the first series, the first entry in the series, and they went back and they're like, okay, so this is what they didn't like, this is what they did like, we're working on game two. Let's pay attention to what the fans want, and let's give them that in this game. And so we got, one, I think a much more coherent story than the first one. It was a lot easier to follow. I felt like there were plenty of time. There was especially one section of the first game where you were kind of given too much freedom to start exploring, like, memories involving in all cities. And you just kind of got lost in it. And that's something that never really happened in this game. Plus, also, you get a very, very charismatic protagonist to follow. And it completely changes the mood of the game. So instead of being on this path of redemption, of almost forced redemption that we had with Altair, uh, we get kind of a romanced revenge story with Ezio. And I say romance just because, well, the man learned French from sleeping with French women. So this is just how he operates. So he's just incredibly smooth just fun to follow and the fact that you are with him literally from the time he's born <laughs> well but we didn't actually know that he was hooking up with the french ladies until brotherhood so not until brotherhood we got a little ahead of ourselves but hey yeah be ready but for I more Ezio fun he was definitely still casanova style though from the very beginning oh, yeah. and mm -hmm. when when you look at the end of assassin's creed one there's this like huge cliffhanger at the end of the first one where the main character Desmond Miles in the future realizes he's got the pigeon vision that you love Joe where he Good can old see pigeon vision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can see stuff written in blood and and so when you look at that it was like holy shit what a way to end a game and then you mm -hmm. come into this and it's like wait a second I'm I'm playing this like charismatic dude he's like street yeah. fighting you know mm -hmm. it's it's it, it was really uh, really a fun way to take Altair, who is kind of a dusty character, you know, mm -hmm. and then you plug into Ezio, who is like just instant, like cool. He he is like James Bond, but Renaissance style, you know. Yeah. Like let's mm -hmm. let's get going. And so, yeah, you're you're totally right about how Ubisoft definitely listened to the fans for once, and they're like, wait a second, let's let's drop off of you know pickpocketing missions and mm -hmm. intel hunting, and all these things that are monotonous in every single yeah. city that you go to. Yeah, and it's, I mean, those things are still there, but, like, they were a part of every memory and every mission in the first game. It's like, okay, I get it, we're sneaky, but yeah. come on, <laughs> let's let's have some variety here. So you get that in this game, and I also like that you you brought up the cliffhanger from the first game with Desmond, because I think this game does a great job of really continuing that modern-day story that they started in the first one. And you kind of had this intrigue over Desmond being abducted by Abstergo and finding out more about the, the assassins uh, through his own memories in the Animus. And now you have Desmond on the run with Lucy, uh, who 
we can't give anything away yet if you haven't played the game yet because we're <laughs> going to get there anyway. But let's save that for at least getting to uh, getting to Brotherhood. So yeah. just just really doing a great job of taking care of both the things in the Animus and the things outside of the Animus, which, as we found from the movie, is pretty hard to do. Yeah, which uh, the movie did its, its best, but we won't get into that mm-hmm. today. As far as as far as a sequel goes, you know, I played plenty of sequels. Sometimes they they don't do anything all that great, and you you forget about them. But for this game specifically, like this is the game that actually put Assassin's Creed on the map, which is mm-hmm. really funny to think about because you know it's it's not always the, like the case with a game having its first entry looked at as like wow this game sucks compared to <laughs> number two. Yeah, you know, like if if like it's crazy to think that number one was popular enough to get to two, and then two blows the doors off of pop culture, video games. I mean, Ezio's appearing in you know awards ceremonies. I mean, li- literally, like he he showed up in some like video game uh, award shows and stuff. So it's just crazy to think mm-hmm. that he, like the character, completely revolutionized mm-hmm. gaming when he came out. So yeah, yeah. I mean, he. Yeah. I think he shows up at a bar toasting. Uh, I think a guy named Dave. You think that's how yes. the commercial goes? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. When the Templar murdered my family. Yeah, it turns around and... <laughs> God, I feel like that was yesterday, mm-hmm. dude. This is... This I is know, like... right? <laughs> 13 years ago, man. Holy oh. shit. Whew. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. and this is also a game where you... Free running got a bit of an overhaul um, in this, where it was... Like, I feel like... We, we say almost every game the free running improves uh, a little bit, or they they tweak it, they change it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And this is one where it definitely felt like Ezio did exactly what you wanted him to do. And we also got uh, like like new skills in this game that helped free running get even better. Because in the first game, Altair was very limited in like basically he had to get something. If he had to climb, it had to be within arm's reach or he wasn't getting up there. Whereas Ezio, yeah. eventually capable of jumping on the wall upward a little bit to grab something else ahead of him, uh, something else above him. So that made it that much better. And I feel like this game also, this is where like chain killing gets introduced too, isn't it? Isn't is in number two? No, cha- uh, chain killing it's would actually be a brotherhood, brotherhood thing. Uh, brother, yeah. yep. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like what the combat did, you know, in, in the first game, the novelty for most people was to sit back and then wait for a counter so that you can do like a really cool kill move. Yes. Whereas mm-hmm. Ezio was a little bit more offensive. You know, like he he could mm-hmm. he could hack and slash a little bit and then kind of mold his fighting style into a counter move. Right. Like so mm-hmm. he could be, you know, hitting someone two or three times, and then somebody tries to attack you, and then boom, you're like slipping right into a counter yeah. kill. Mm-hmm. You know, so the the first game was obviously simplified. I'm not trying to shit on it too much, mm-hmm. but with Assassin's Creed 2, yeah, the combat got much more fluid. Mm-hmm. You know, much more interesting to be a part of. You could still sit back and wait for things to try and kill you. Don't get me wrong. Oh, definitely. But, yeah, mm-hmm. wasn't the core yeah. focus. Yeah, no, and then also not to mention that like even like the setting of the game, going through the Renaissance era throughout multiple Italian cities, uh, it definitely lifted the kind of the gloom and doom of the crusades <laughs> it was yeah, just, just yeah a little bit. Mm-hmm. yep a little bit <laughs> yeah. so it's like oh this is the holy land but man do we want to go home and that's kind of what the first games felt and i feel like just like templar involvement is also 
a lot more fun in this game as opposed to random, finding random Templar knights that are just absolute assholes to try and beat. Yeah, yeah, you, you, like that's what I always thought was a, a, a major misstep of Assassin's Creed One was that every time there's a, a Templar that you have to kill, for some reason, like even as the main characters and the main antagonists, mm-hmm. you still have to do research on them. It's like yeah. that guy's a Templar. You know he's a Templar. We know he Can is. I just kill him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Like, why do I have to research this? But mm-hmm. in this one, in Assassin's Creed 2, what I really loved about this was that it took the actual Patsy conspiracy to try to uh, basically take over Florence during this time period. Mm-hmm. And the Medicis were the rulers of, of Florence at this point in time. And so to place Ezio organically, like his family, his, his, mm-hmm. his father was a banker who worked very closely with the Medicis, you know, based on the history. Mm-hmm. And so... This was really cool. I thought they they did an incredibly good job of placing them into this and making it feel like it could have actually been real, as opposed to just linking up when someone died historically and then Mm -hmm. making sure that your character killed them on that day. Like, it's a totally different idea. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's like you said that 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 fluid feel to Ezio being a part of the Renaissance, as opposed to him being plot like placed or plopped into a story, and just like oh, you know that one thing that happened turned out it was Ezio. Um, it it does not feel like that at any point in time, and I know uh, that's that is a gripe that comes up with future Assassin's Creed games with um, you know my boy Connor uh, is just at every major revolutionary event. And I think had they had they spaced the game out at, uh, into two games, it probably would have seemed a little better. But when you had it all kind of squished into one, it was hard to take yeah. it all in. And that's something that the Ezio one, I guess, trilogy, because obviously you have major historical events happen among the first two games uh, in, in, in the Italian cities, because the third, we do leave Italy. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, uh, great, great part of this game. And I feel like this game was legitimately fun going after collectibles and additional parts of the game. So I don't even remember if there was really any any really great side quests in the first game that weren't just find a random Templar, there's somewhere on the map, go get them. But in this game, when you're able to, one, just restore or fix up um, parts of all the major cities here of Florence, Rome, and uh, what's the third? So there's Is there's it? Florence, there's mm-hmm. Venice, Venice. Uh, there's the yeah. Tus- there's the Tuscan, Tuscan. like countryside, mm-hmm. yeah, and and so. It, it mm-hmm. is a, a much more like expansive game than even yes. the first one was, despite mm-hmm. being able to go to all these different locations. In in this mm-hmm. game, I really did feel like uh, the maps were bigger. Obviously, the ability to swim was introduced. Yes, <laughs> so thankfully, can... we no longer die because we hit the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Physically, you can mm-hmm. actually go into the water now, which is great. Mm-hmm. And and so and there were some smaller maps too in between, like the bigger cities as well that you could go. Uh, explore like Forley as well. Like Forley mm-hmm. was one of the smaller maps that was available in the game. Still had hidden locations you could go to, and even though it was a small map, it still felt like a sprawling, you know, tiny little town. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think they did a really good job of of taking mm-hmm. that simplified approach and and giving it much more life. Now, based on what you mentioned about hidden areas, though, this is where I think the game really did step things up and not just because hidden stuff is fun to play and it's not the main story all that mm-hmm. 
But what they did as far as narratives go, they took the events of the first game and they almost treated them like they're they're mystic. Like they're I'm not talking about like the blue team in, in Pokemon. I mean <laughs> the events of the first game are almost like legends at this point. Yeah. Right? It's a it's several hundred years later. Mm-hmm. Only a few people really know the history of the original assassins, Altair, the Codex, all this stuff. It's a very limited amount of people that even knew mm-hmm. about it. So finding the stuff that's left behind is truly a mystery to your character. And even though if you've played the first game and you go to two, you're sitting here going like, I feel like this is a mystery to me, and I yeah. know the lore. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's... I don't know if it... It, re, it really doesn't come up, I think, in in two or brotherhood because they really wouldn't look at your revelations um, eventually, but just knowing that like Altair's story doesn't stop after Assassin's Creed. And I think this game starts to hint at that because you know, there are things that happened, but there are things that you don't know that you don't know about Assassin's Creed. And they, they hinted the idea that there's, there's something more going on. Um, but even like looking at um, more of uh, Ezio's story itself, I think more than just like you know him being a part of of the Renaissance's history in this area, his personal story is pretty great because we've got some like sharks and jet style stuff going on when he's young. He is this this brash ruffian who is a lover, not a fighter, but he's also a fighter, so don't fuck with him and. <laughs> we get this fun, like, really, really, like, huge backstory that, honestly, I don't think we've quite gotten with any assassin since. Spare, like, save... Because, Connor, you did get to play Connor from a child going onward, but I still feel like with Connor, we got little Connor, we got teenage Connor, and then we got adult Connor, but with Ezio, we have infant Ezio, young Ezio, teenage Ezio... Still in his prime, young Ezio, um, in Assassin's Creed 2, before we leave on to he's having back problems in his 30s in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. <laughs> but the whole, every part of the story of one, again, like I said, almost like a romanticized revenge story, because while you are out to find the person who is responsible for basically putting your family to death, you're going to say, like, murder, because... They, he convinces the entire city that Ezio's family is responsible for some heinous act and they're executed. So they're they're falsely executed and it's up to Ezio to exact his revenge. But at the same time, unlike future assassins, he doesn't just use the order to meet his own needs and then basically find his way out of it or kind of like we never see or hear from him again. So he really begins to get this deep, devout respect for the assassins, and he helps turn them into arguably the greatest chapter of their existence because of what they did for him and what he wants to do in return. Well, I mean, the big thing here is that Ezio doesn't even know what the order is. He doesn't even Mm -hmm. know that the assassins were a thing. All he knew is that his dad would secretively sneak out at night, and suddenly when his dad is facing the gallows, it's like, hey, I got this chest with some stuff in it you want to open Mm -hmm. up. 
Don't ask questions. Just put it on. It's like, I, okay. It, it, is it secret? Is it safe? Go get it. Yeah. Let's yeah, go get exactly. it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so like what I thought was, was brilliant with Assassin's Creed 2 from a storytelling standpoint is that it is a coming-of-age story for Ezio, mm-hmm. right? Because he gets to figure out not just who he is as a person and then growing into adulthood, but then he also sees how much his life changes the more that he accepts what the Order is and then fights towards that mutual need that they have to rid the Templars, right? Or rid the world of the Templars. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that that's why this game stands out, and, and people agree on this, is that it ramps up at just the right amount all the way through. Like it's it's a it's a perfectly like mm-hmm. planned out game, and by the time you get to the end, which is breadcrumbs for what's essentially becoming a massive universe, right? Like mm-hmm. Ezio is figuring this out, and so are you. And you're going, what the hell did I just see? Because everything up to that point was like, yeah, mm-hmm. this sounds like a standard revenge story. It's molded really well within you know, the Renaissance era. It's like, am I looking at aliens or something? Like, what is this? <laughs> you know? And that's yeah. how I felt playing it the first time. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, I had that, that feel that this was, a, this was something greater than, uh, like, holy relics. Because I feel like that's, that's kind of the impression that you get um, from the first game. Is that these are these ancient things that have been here since well from what we could feasibly see is the dawn of civilization we don't understand them we just know they have great power and that's kind of where we're left off with it in the first assassin's creed game and because then you also find out you know as as desmond that that's what abstergo is looking for they're looking for these old relics and i think there are there are hints here and there that Assassin's Creed is taking a very popular narrative throughout books and movies at this time, and is that that you know the gods that we believed in when we were when we were young in civilization may not have been gods; they may have been yeah, superhumans or aliens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but. But I think when it comes to cliffhangers, because they did a really good job with cliffhangers, mm-hmm. right, in the early versions of these games, and I can't stop but laugh at a moment at the very end of the first one, because, or the very end of uh, Assassin's Creed 2, mm-hmm. because that's the first time that Ezio hears the name Desmond, right, the, the main character yep. in the future. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I could ever think of, Joe, because he goes, who, who is this Desmond? Desmond. And, you know, all I could think mm-hmm. of was like of one more line he could say, which is, why does he not wear the ribbon? <laughs> Who is his desmond? <laughs> <laughs> None of it makes any sense. He's a street tough. <laughs> yeah, he's a Seinfeld street tough, right? Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Who does not wear the ribbon? <laughs> so, yeah, so either way, I think oh, Assassin's Creed 2, in trying to fit this within this, this three-game narrative, Yes, it blew the doors off of everything that Assassin's Creed 1 tried to be. And mm-hmm. that's what I think the lasting legacy of that game is going to inevitably oh, yeah. be, even as they keep making more Assassin's Creed games. Mm-hmm. But as you shift towards Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, Joe, what kind of thoughts did you have going into that game, knowing what you got from 2? Well... One, the bar was set very high, because if we could be generous and call Assassin's Creed 1 a new hope, 
then two was most definitely the Empire Strikes Back of this franchise. It it is I don't want to say it's where it peaks, but it is definitely one probably the strongest entry in the series. Uh, and it's not to say that nothing comes close to it because honestly, I've clearly I have a favorite. So yeah, we we enter uh, Brotherhood coming off of uh, riding a pretty big high off of Assassin's Creed Two. You've got the assassins victorious uh, in in ye old Rome. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Ezio literally like. I think Brotherhood like starts with like a party in honor of Ezio and what he did to take down the Borgias, or not maybe t- not take the Borgias down, but severely put a damp around their plans. And meanwhile, in the real world, we've not the real world, the modern day world. We have found where the Apple of Eden has been hiding all these times. So we are in hot pursuit with Desmond and Lucy looking for the Apple. Yeah, now, if you're not familiar with Assassin's Creed, if you're not intimate with it, the Apple of Eden is essentially an artifact of this like first peoples that we've been talking about that's revealed at the end of the, the Assassin's Creed mm-hmm. 2. And this, this kind of lays the groundwork for this continuing struggle between free will and basically forcing people to obey what you tell them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it was really interesting to me that the, the first people's artifacts in this apple of Eden, right? The supposed, you know, the supposed apple. <laughs> uh, I thought that was really cool that mm-hmm. they kind of kept that the focus of the, of the Ezio, you know, timeline, right? Cause yeah. the, the apple of Eden appears in the first game and everything, but it's much more tangible in this one. Right, like mm-hmm. you're you're actually getting your hands on it. You can actually see what it does, you know, as, as you hold it. And so yeah. it was, yeah, it, it was really cool mm-hmm. to actually see this mythical thing they bring up, and now you're actually holding it and using it. So mm-hmm. I thought that was a cool way to start, for sure. Yeah, I think so too, because especially the way the way two ends with the final battle is you you definitely because you get an apple at the end of two. And you more or less just get to like press square and walk on out of a place filled with soldiers that there's no way you were going to escape without the apple. And so it's kind of like this, you know, this badass moment. And it's fouled up immediately with the apple in Brotherhood. Yeah, yeah, because that's, mm-hmm. that's essentially how Brotherhood starts is actually right where two ends. Mm-hmm. Like you, you've got... You get Ezio standing triumphant with a ton of questions, and yeah. and then you're you're put right back into it. And so, once again, this is a pacing thing. Like I thought, the pacing was mm-hmm. brilliant across this trilogy, you know, of of this series. And and as you come into two, and you're you're still coming off of this high of like, yes, we won, mm-hmm. but I don't know exactly what to celebrate yet. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like because that's the oh yeah he, he stands there triumphant at the end of the day, but now we've got so much more crap we got to figure out, and because the, the Patsy conspiracy, you've pretty much completely dismantled everyone responsible for harming your family. Like mm-hmm. every single person is is marked off of that board, except for one guy, who is now the Pope. <laughs> yeah, hard <laughs> so, to take the Pope out in the Renaissance. <laughs> Uh, yeah, big figure during this time uh, of, of the planet. So pretty hard. Yeah, Roma, to to Roma pope. loves. Roma's all about the Pope. They love the, Pope, loves the pope, right? Yep, really yeah. big in Rome. Yeah. The Pope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so, so the question that a lot of people had though, when Brotherhood came out back in 2010, 
was what is brotherhood is this mm -hmm. a full game is this a dlc is this just a yeah like a, a really big side mission that we're selling as a full game and the answers are kind of a combination of all those things because they were initially thinking of making brotherhood into some kind of like mobile game or maybe it's mm -hmm. like a, a handheld game or something like that and then they realized we have way more ideas we have way yeah. much more story to tell and so let's keep this going and so there were some people who were really tough on this game when it first came out because of those concepts mm -hmm. but the but this game was so much more than that and of the Ezio games i actually think brotherhood could be the strongest of out of all three of them because you do get a a revamped combat system it's not just a a retread of the last one yep. and as you alluded to you can actually do chain kills now mm -hmm. and chain kills turns Ezio Auditore into a one-man army. I mean, <laughs> chain kills were so much fun. I don't know if it was for you as it was for me, but oh, yeah, I loved it's, it. Because like, I know like you had mentioned that uh, in Assassin's Creed 2, they definitely made it so that uh, it was a little more offensive on Ezio's side. And I still felt when I played it, it was still a, it was fairly defensive combat. Like you could, you could hammer away, but to do the real damage, you had to do a counter at just the right time to kill something and then keep going. And so this just freaking takes that same idea and it cranks it up to 11. Because now when you get that sweet counter kill and you get someone with an instant, you can just keep that going and go straight through a group of enemies. So it goes from, I guess, kind of, if you were to compare, like, the, the like in my mind, the big three assassins of Altair, Ezio, and Connor, and you have Altair is angsty but cool-looking defensive shots, and Connor is just in-your-face, like, offense and attack, and he's hammering it to you. Ezio refines himself over the uh, among the three games, and in two, yeah. you get this perfect, like, fluid mix of effortless defense into quick aggressive offense and that was a definitely a welcomed part of the franchise at this time isn't that interesting though like it actually makes sense like he, he isn't just suddenly overpowered this is Ezio, you know like coming out of being a teenager right mm -hmm. uh, working his way into being a master assassin so it would make sense that he knows how to do different things now it would make sense that he's actually read the codex from Altair that he left behind mm -hmm. and implemented some of those things into how he fights because that's how he learns a lot of these things, right? Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't just overpowering somebody, even though, once mm -hmm. again, he he seriously is a Terminator wearing <laughs> assassin's garbs, okay? He is. Mm -hmm. He's just a... He, he's a, he, I loved fighting with him in Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, getting, getting ramped up over here. <laughs> Awaken yep, something uh, to me, Ezio. Yeah. Yes, although, I mean, the game is guilty of some like typical sequel stuff like going from like Altier to Ezio the first time it makes sense that this is a young assassin he doesn't know things so when they give you tutorials of how to play the game because I mean obviously the game has to make it user-friendly so in case no you didn't play the first Assassin's Creed game you can learn how to play by doing basic tutorial and skills things in the second game so they have to do that again. They have to assume that the player may not have played two, and they're jumping on the Assassin's Creed, um, the Assassin's Creed wagon now. So you have Ezio in the game early on, basically 
lose all of his armor, which makes him apparently lose a lot of his fighting skill at the same time. I'll agree with you somewhat on that front because uh, what Joe's referring to, if you've never played Assassin's Creed, is that uh, Altair, the main character in the first game, leaves behind this like set of like indestructible armor that he figured out how to make because guess what? That little apple of Eden tells you how to make really cool shit. And so he takes it and figures out, okay, here's how I can build this stuff. And yeah, it, it is one of the stranger choices that they decide to make other than the fact mm -hmm. that yes in sequels typically your main characters are going to be worse off than they were in the first one right yeah. so yeah this game does kind of take that that standard trope and they mm -hmm. they take an indestructible set of armor and suddenly make it destructible <laughs> but yep. it's gotta go down but <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you're you're an infant in assassin's no, clothing no, no, anymore no. i mean not I mean, quite you, you you get the most iconic set of assassins robes that they would end up mm -hmm. using for almost every major marketing campaign. Yep. And what was nice about this game is that yes, you can purchase different armor sets and everything, but th there's never a point in this game where the armor sets that are available to you feel weak. Yeah. I mean, you you're mm -hmm. you can still make up for any gap you might have because you have to, you know, buy every single piece, right? Mhm. Mm I never felt like I was at a disadvantage in this game despite losing that stuff. So, yeah. and, and Joe, just like in, in, in Pokemon, if you don't know how to play this game, you just need more training. And they actually have inanimous training for you to fight mm -hmm. and, and to do combat. So I, I don't give people excuses on this one. I'm going to be yeah. honest with you. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of things you can do to make sure you know how to play as Ezio with some of these tweaks, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, so, I guess the way it. I was counting more towards like, um, like Ezio seemingly himself can't do things that he used to do at the end of two. You've got to earn those skills back uh, through uh, whether it's like unlocking, like obviously, like apparently for Ezio to jump from one part of a building up to another requires a special glove. I don't get it. It's what he needed. It's what he preferred. And you can't jump. Right away, you've got to unlock the special glove. Unlike in the next game entry, you can just jump right away like, nah, fuck it, he doesn't need a glove. He's old, he's, he knows what he's doing. But looking back at other game features or mechanics or even story in this, uh, one thing that I really liked that this game did was it really leaned into the Ezio-Da Vinci-like relationship. Because even oh, yeah. though like Da Vinci eventually disappears towards the end of this game... This whole idea that he's being put to work by the Borgias to take his great ideas and turn them into weapons is a fun thing because then Ezio gets to go find them ahead of time, destroy their blueprints uh, or their, their initial like drafts, and then actually take these things that we've seen as pictures and paintings and ideas of Da Vinci in actual real life and yeah. suddenly he's flying on them, or he's in like the pedal tank with cannons all around it. And it yeah. was just a very, very fun nod to actual history that came in this game. Which, I mean, these games are filled with that. But this is in particular being able to really use these Da Vinci things that you always wonder, looking at growing up, like, could these have actually worked? Probably not, but it is fun to see them working. And uh, you get to actually go out and use them. And they basically turned Da Vinci into like Q from James Bond, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. I, I said that deliberately when I said that Ezio is like James Bond because that's what that that's what that dynamic is like, you know. And mm -hmm. and so 
um, I, I just want to give props to Carlos Ferro, who voiced uh, Leonardo da Vinci, who was on this program earlier this season. There's this playfulness between da Vinci and, and Ezio that kind of exists. Now, some of that might be because, well, people theorized and others have stated this bluntly that da Vinci wants to jump Ezio's bones, okay? Now, I'm going to say this, all right? Guys want to be like Ezio. Women want to be with Ezio. Men want to be with Ezio. There's no shock to me there. Mm-mm, so, no. No, I, yeah, not that there's anything there's wrong no with that either. Here. No, nothing, nothing <laughs> wrong with that at all. And yeah, yeah. I would have said that, like, you know, um, he's Ezio Auditore. Uh, women want him and men want to be him. And in some cases, men also want him. That's just that's, who he yeah, is. Ex- yeah. There's just mm-hmm. no way to end it with just men want him. It's like, no, <laughs> men and women no. want Ezio. Okay? They do. Yes. yes, I'm equal opportunity, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But yep. it, yeah, so here's what I thought was cool, though, about about Brotherhood, because mm-hmm. it, it seems like it wouldn't make sense to have just Rome be the main map, right? Mm-hmm. But it works. Yeah, having having a location as Rome, and having that be like where mostly everything happens, you know, because there's, there's there's side missions and like oh, you yeah. mentioned, there's the the mm-hmm. war machine stuff, but that to me almost felt like, oh wow, is this a mistake to have it just be Rome as the one main thing that you're playing? And it ended up actually working. I thought it was Very great well. that you have, yeah. You, yeah, you have all these like major Roman landmarks you can go check out. Mm-hmm. And I actually found myself exploring Rome more than I ever did any of the Assassin's Creed Two maps, which mm-hmm. is weird. I mean, what what was your experience like? I mean, it's the same, and I think it's just because. Now that you have Rome as like the only place you're going, all of your collectibles are in Rome. All of your side missions are in Rome. Whereas before, it is everything is spread out over three or four maps. So basically, you're only going to where the collectibles are, and you're not exploring so much in the other games. And which isn't to say that they didn't do a good job really fleshing out the cities in the other games, because they definitely did. If you take the time to explore all the cities in Assassin's Creed 2, you're going to find some really great historical, um, like, Easter eggs and perks and nods. And you probably have missed them because you were so focused on just going one to the main story, or you buy um, all the maps that you need to so you can go straight to the collectibles, and you don't necessarily think about taking time to explore the cities. So in this game, when they put it down just to one, even though maybe you are focused on just doing the main story or you're trying to go from collectible to collectible, you're only doing it in one city. So they spread it out over the one city. There's more to pick up. Therefore, you get to see more of Rome and appreciate it more. I mean, I definitely appreciate it more. I'll just be blunt on that. Mm-hmm. I think you already knew I was going that direction. But to me, Brotherhood... It had like there's different elevations, you know. There, there's you can actually see the differences between where the money is in Rome because you're a liberator as opposed to someone trying to get revenge this time around, right? Mm-hmm. So, in liberating Rome, you're going to some of these places that might be a little more downtrodden than the last one. And when you go to an area of Rome that maybe has more influence and has uh, politicians and people in it, you see the architecture change, you see the streets being cleaner. Things just look different. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that that was something that the previous game really didn't have a whole lot of. Mm -hmm. And and so that's why Rome, even though it's one location, 
it felt like 10 different ones right all on top of each other. And, and so I thought that was a really cool decision to make because it could have backfired easily. And some people may not agree with this, mm-hmm. but I, I think that that's why Rome to me is, is just such an awesome location and a well-executed one in this game. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. And I like, I think it's, it's, it's time we actually touch on why the name of this game works so well for what it does, because one, they couldn't call it Assassin's Creed 3 because Assassin's Creed 3 was already in development. So you couldn't just go straight on with the, the numbering. And so when you call it Brotherhood, it works because this is the first time in the franchise that you really get to take control of other assassins and have them go out and do things. And it's more than because, like before, with Ezio, basically you got missions from someone else in the guild, and you still get yeah. those as a, part, as a part of side quests. But now, as a master assassin, you get to be in control of basically a whole separate other game. And you get this mini game of sending the assassins out to various parts of not even just Europe, but the, you know, basically the world. They're going into, I think, parts of Asia, down into like the upper portion of Africa, and yeah. you can yeah. train up the assassins and get them leveled up, get them better gear. And make it so they're more capable of going in and doing missions without getting hurt or killed in the process. And, of course, you get to actually... I, I'm pretty sure this game, you get to actually help them in the game. Where you see them as like a character. They start as a small like side quest. You save them, and then now they're into the actual Brotherhood. And you're sending them out and having them do things for you. Yeah, you actually have to go save these people because they're usually getting beat up on by city guards or or something. And one of my favorite lines in these games, it's not that it has any like crazy meaning. It's just when Ezio reaches out and he's like, "The liberation of Roma has begun." And like it's just the the guy's like bald and like he's got like, you know, his mustache is uneven like mine. He's like, mm-hmm. "Oh, thank you. Thank you. I I'm just a simple baker, but I'll fight with you." You know, and you're like <laughs> that that to me was where I'm like, mm-hmm. did you actually vet this dude at all? Because just because he's wearing purple doesn't mean that he's going to be a great assassin. You know? No, no, <laughs> not they, at all. They're all wearing purple. Every one of mm-hmm. them is wearing purple. <laughs> yep. And this, all this guy has is bread, too. So he probably wasn't the best person to bring into this whole thing. But yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah if you're stealing we, bread, like, go for the guy that was stealing, you know, like a pork loin or something. Make sure that the assassin's got some mm-hmm. some protein on those bones, all right? You don't just want yeah. to go for the guy eating carbs no. all day. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Yeah. And when you're going for favorite lines, I thought you were going to go straight to, did you look behind the table? Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that dude, Bartholomew is one of the, the coolest assassins in the order because, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we're not going to go all the way into his story because, his story, history. Because uh, you, you can look at that yourself, but yeah, that's that is one of my favorite lines where it's like, yeah, did you look behind the table? table. <laughs> yes, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm assuming he did. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. But but seriously though, the idea of mm-hmm. of actually having an assassin's like brotherhood, you, you it was there in the in, in Assassin's Creed two. You mm-hmm. didn't know it was there until they kind of reveal who all these people were, but. Once again, you're playing the role of liberator. So you have to found your own assassin's HQ in Rome mm-hmm. because the Borgia and the the Pope, you know, the papal the people, they've all forced them out. There, there's no assassins that are living, you know, as assassins in Rome anymore. Mm-hmm. So 
that that's really that was really kind of a cool thing because if you looked into the codex and some of the behind like the the non like main ep- or the the non main like missions in, in two, mm-hmm. you do hear about how Altair did find other branches. Like this is one of the reasons why the the Assassin's Brotherhood, the original one, had so many potential issues and some splintering because Altair was going around the world trying to build up the the order. So it was neat to kind of see Ezio step into that same mm-hmm. you know type of mentor or il mentore as the uh, the trophy is called in the game. Mm-hmm. So it, it, yeah, interesting concepts. I liked it a lot. Yeah, and also like kudos to this game actually making a trailer that shows things you can actually do in the game because (laughs) again like the whole like the idea of brotherhood is that you've got you know you're training your boys and and your girls to go around the world be assassins build up the order and that's all fine and good in terms of getting trophies and doing a side game but what are they doing for you in rome well the more you level them up with their skills the more they can help you in the main storyline. So they go from being able to like do uh, simple things like they just will pop out of a book, pop out of like a haystack, go and just kill someone and keep on running as a simple thing to joining you in fights to eventually you get the arrow storm, oh, which God. is uh, just a thing of beauty. When you're walking into an area and just like in the trailer, when Ezio is just walking in to uh, I think uh, the Vatican Square, and there's just guard upon guard, and like one by one, quick little command. Other assassins are popping out, taking guards out until Ezio is exactly where he wants to be, and that's something you can do in this game because you'll have yes. them whistle, they'll come from a rooftop, grab someone, and then there's a a lot of people, and you just hold up the arm, call for the arrow storm, and it just flies down, wrath and fury upon everyone. Yes, yes. And I, I think what Joe is trying to do here is make a call out to the very first trailer for Assassin's Creed where Altair takes a crossbow and shoots a Templar with it. And then you never see never. the crossbow that until crossbow. this game. Mm-hmm. Not one. Not until this game. You can, yep. you can buy it. You can actually buy it pretty early on if you pickpocket enough people. It's but true. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't get that in any other game. And I'm like... Were we really that far ahead or that far behind? I don't really know, but <laughs> but yeah. I, so th- that's what I, I did really like about Brotherhood was it was the fact that yes, you do start off with one arm tied behind your back, right? But over the length of the game, mm-hmm. I felt like in in any Assassin's Creed game that I had achieved the most I was going to achieve. You know, it was just mm-hmm. a good feeling. Like you've you've st- the Brotherhood stood back up. And the whole time, Ezio stays true to himself as well as a character. Yes. You know, there, there's never, mm-hmm. there's never any kind of weird changes or strange things that he kind of goes through here. And, and so I, that's why I think it was just as good of a game as two. I, I thought the story that carries through here was just as strong as mm-hmm. as two was, even yeah. though it wasn't that revenge angle. I still think it was really good. And so I think that's why I spent the most time with it out of the three. I spent the most mm-hmm. time with Brotherhood. And yes. still, favorite Platinum Trophy is Brotherhood. Even no. though not, not the Ezio collection specifically, of them all hanging out on one disc. But yeah, our, our quest to Platinum, the original Brotherhood, after the fact, right before the servers were about to, about to be closed down. Whew, great time. Great time in our gaming, gaming journey. Oh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. But speaking of journeys, Joe, 
That's what brings us to Assassin's Creed Revelations, which is officially the beginning of the old man Ezio yes. journey. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, on the topic of trailers, we talked about, obviously, AC1, 2, and, and Brotherhood. Revelations is easily one of my favorite trailers from this mm-hmm. entire series. doesn't matter yeah. which, which game. This trailer, it was beautiful. It had Woodkid's uh, mm-hmm. Iron as the, the theme song for it. And it was crazy how well that theme, or the, the, the song, the lyrics of the song, mm-hmm. match up with what Ezio is doing at this point in his life. Because mm-hmm. it just kind of sum it up quickly. Ezio's gotten revenge for his family. Ezio has brought justice to the city of Rome, right? Pretty much bringing down the Borgias and, and taking care of business right there. Now his journey shifts into meaning, trying to understand, okay, I'm an assassin who's seen quite a few moons. What am I doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, like, like what, even in the trailer, you know, uh, he sounds almost like, I wouldn't say downtrodden is the right word, mm-hmm. but it almost seems like he's accepted that he might die without really knowing yeah. what his point was in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that what you kind of got going into this one? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so one, even the, uh, the title revelations of Ezio finding out the greater purpose of what's going on here, I think is a great direction to take the game in because like you said, Ezio, I think at some point in time, between uh, Brotherhood and now, he he's just kind of losing the plot. Like, yeah, I get it. We're we're trying to beat the Templars to like these artifacts to keep them from misusing them. But other than that, like, why are we doing this? There's got to be something more than that. There's got to be greater purpose. And he gets, of course, glimpses of this when he interacts uh, interacts uh, with the Forerunner race, and he needs to know more over not just, again, his purpose, but the purpose of the assassins in the first place. And he, what we also get through the trailer in this one is you kind of see this, this, this aftershadow or this ghost of uh, Altair when Ezio is fighting. So you get this great way of not even just wrapping up or coming close to wrapping up Ezio's story is we finally get to circle back to Altair and what he did after the first game was done because when you leave um leave him in Masayif it's it's almost like okay so i guess he beat his his former teacher and leader what does he do after that we we don't yeah. really get to know his life um does he does he just die right after that we don't know and it turns out Ezio would also really like to know so he sets out to find purpose through what Altair is left. Now, one correction for you there, though, is that there are some things that we know about Altair if we looked deep enough. And there are some things, there are some things that Ezio knew about Altair, but not fully, right? Like he knew that the Altair actually married a Templar, uh, Maria, I believe, and oh, yeah. they have mm-hmm. children together. So he knew about that stuff. Or I should say maybe Des- actually Desmond knew this. I don't know if Ezio mm-hmm. did. It, it, yeah, it was definitely Desmond that knew it. So either way, yeah, there's there's questions left over. There's things that we, we clearly need answers to. Yes. And in the spirit of kind of explaining Brotherhood, 
Revelations was another one of those games that was potentially conceived as once again a handheld or yeah. a mobile game, and so yeah, because it was it was made wasn't it being made for the Vita? That was its plan. Yeah, it was supposed to be on mm-hmm. handhelds. Yeah, and and so once again, I was like, holy shit! I am so happy that they made this a console game mm-hmm. because the narrative that they tied together didn't just tie together Ezio's story, it tied together all four games up to that point. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and so if you'd only played, you know, one and two and then skip Brotherhood and Revelations, it's like you fucked yourself big time. Oh like yeah. This this is this is the payoff for mm-hmm. you know for six years of, of gaming. You know, like this yeah. this was huge. And and mm-hmm. I, I I couldn't thank him enough for having having made this one. Because yeah. as far as like gameplay goes and like the the stuff I appreciate the most yeah, Brotherhood definitely wins that one. Mm-hmm. But as far as like the story, as you mentioned, seeing the silhouette of like Altair and Ezio trying to make sense of the past, that stuff grips you right away mm-hmm. in this game. Yeah, and I mean, this also is hands down my favorite look for Ezio in any of the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you do ditch the traditional assassin's uh, white garbs, which I still argue doesn't make the most sense. And I get. It's not from the way you would think, because you would think, oh, they're assassins, shouldn't they be sneaky? Well, actually, the group they're based off of in real life was actually pretty prideful and well-known for carrying their stuff out openly in public and not giving a fuck about it. So it's not that. Yeah. They're, not, they're fine with being seen. It's just that, how are you getting blood out of this? You have to throw it away after you kill one person. Start all over again. Just from a practical stance, why would you want white outerwear when you know you're going to be killing people and blood's not getting out of it. We know Ezio, being Italian, he's going to drink wine. He's spilling something eventually. Oh, yeah. Ruins yeah, everything. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we ditched the traditional white garb, and we've got this, we've got this, again, like, it feels like his new suit is as old as he is. It is yeah, yeah, black. Yeah. It is gray. It has, it has, furs on it to try and keep him warm as he's moving through different areas and it just looks like it's experienced and it's seen things and been yeah. to places mm-hmm. yeah it definitely looks like uh Ezio got rid of the sports car in lieu of something that still can go fast mm-hmm. but is is meant to get you a to b and for him yeah it looks less flashy right and what i think what was was good about this was that Ezio is still a very capable assassin despite his age Mm -hmm. because at the beginning of brotherhood you just made the joke it's like he's 35 years old and suddenly he can't lift with his his legs anymore (laughs) you know like (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. this is this is Ezio as an older man he's in his 50s and so he he seems just as functional and instead of replacing that with you know like a dark knight rises thing where he needs a a a knee brace that suddenly fixes Mm -hmm. his cartilage issues it's like no 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 Ezio is just an older man he mm-hmm. might heal a little bit slower now, you know. Yep. He he might need to drink some you know cranberry juice, but <laughs> he's still a skilled assassin. And so, mm-hmm. I thought instead of doing the standard sequel treatment in the beginning of the game, where, like you mentioned, you have to learn how to do all this stuff again. Mm-hmm. Instead, you start off with a gravely injured Ezio, yep. and it makes more sense as to why you can't Completely. do the things. That he used to do, yeah. And also, what what adds to that even more, or makes actually, in my mind, makes it more excusable in Revelations, is because, yes, he's gravely injured. Um, We see in the trailer that uh, his hidden blades get damaged. He doesn't have any other weapons on him, so you've got to actually get all these things back. But on top of that, 
you have it under the guise that not only the guys, he's in a brand new city that he's never been in before. And you yeah. meet uh, Yusuf, who is the uh, the den leader for the assassins in uh, Istanbul, or as Ezio oh. says, Constantinopoli. Yes, Constantinopoli. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they're calling you it. Know I yeah. Can't, oh yeah. I can't you be have stopped. To say I can't be stopped. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Nor would I, nor would I dream <laughs> of stopping you. But it's kind of great because you're getting a tour of the city, and you're just trying to keep up with this younger assassin. So. Yeah. When you're climbing things, when you're parkouring, when you're going over stuff and you're doing combat things again, one, you have your you have a new hidden blade, which is now a hook blade. Uh, so you're getting new skills that are just, well, you've got a different weapon. We're showing you how to use the new weapon that's part of your base set. And you just got to get to know the city. Here's getting around Istanbul. And here's how you should do it. And you have to keep up with me. So it takes that same, I mean, it's, it's the same thing that like people hate even out of sequel movies is you somehow reduce the character from the glory of the first movie uh, that they earned and got at the end. And now they're kind of back at the bottom so we can watch the hero build themselves back up. And it does it in a matter where you're not mad by it. Yes, you're doing the skills again that you already know to do because you played the previous game, yeah. but your shit broke. You're in a new place and you, you are no longer, you know, top dog in your city anymore. So you've got to, you got to learn the ropes. It it makes total yeah. sense to me why they do it, why, how they do it in this game. Yeah. yeah, and the other thing too that you mentioned about Yusuf, who is the you know the den leader of the assassins in Constantinople, mm-hmm. <laughs> Constantinople. What I thought was really funny about him is that there's a realization in these games now because we're you know five years, six years into the franchise, mm-hmm. and everyone has heard it's you are the da Firenze at least one or two times, right? Like it's oh, yeah. it's it's stated everywhere. But then when he arrives in Constantinople. Yusuf sees him and he's like, "Yeah, you're it's your da da da, you know." And I was like, "This this is great! Like they're great. they're making they're making fun they're making fun of the fact that like this dude is like world known by everybody, and then he shows up in this like you know corner of the world, and he finally has to realize, oh yeah, not everybody knows you now, Mm-mm. and so yep. it's not just a reset in abilities and some of the." the uh, weapons and things that he's using. Mm-hmm. It's also that, that social awareness. And so yeah. I thought that was, that was a fun way to start mm-hmm. it for sure. Absolutely. And, and then of course we get new game mechanics and new game modes. So we, I'm trying, I don't think you're sending assassins around the globe anymore. I think that mechanic didn't make it to this game. Um, uh, it's it's a it? combination of, it's a combination of things. Okay. So, so it is there. Yeah. But yeah. then you and also get one... tower defense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say yeah. this. This is the gripe that like everybody mm-hmm. has with Assassin's Creed Revelations. It's the tower defense game, which at that point in time, it's like tower defense was was everything, right? Yeah. Like uh, there was tower defense uh, mobile apps. There was free mm-hmm. games online. If it was a political campaign, you could see that politician in the tower defense style game. I mean, it was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. it was I mean, it was like if, like the way battle royale is now. That's what tower defense was when this game came out. Yeah. Yeah, which, here's what I'll say about that. The tower defense game in Assassin's Creed Revelations, it's not one that I sought out. Like, you have to play it at least once, right? Yep. And so you have to play it once so that they can explain to you what the den defense game looks like. Mm-hmm. Okay, not a big deal. If you're a trophy hunter, you may have to play it more than once, which yeah. we, you and I both are. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but it's not like it distracted from 
no. the story of the game. Yes, mm-hmm. it was different. Did it work? I don't think so. Yeah, it wasn't. But it was something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't something something all that different. Yeah. It's just a standard tower defense game. Yeah, with an Assassin's Creed branding slapped on it. That's all. Yep. And and if you didn't like it, you could legitimately avoid it. If you prevent a den from falling, you never have to do it again. So. Yeah. Exactly. There is there is that to it. So if you don't like it, you do it the one time uh, or a couple times to get your trophy, and you're done with it. Um, and then you can move on to the things that are a lot more enjoyable in this game, and that's crafting. Uh, because oh, I know. Yeah, crafting wasn't present before. And you get this yeah. idea of, so welcome to um, Istanbul. We love making bombs here. <laughs> so... You get to make, uh, which because before in Assassin's Creed, you're basically limited to just smoke bombs. And in this one, it's like, yep. no, 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 no. Like, smoke bombs are great and all, guy. But, like, have you heard of caltraps? Have oh, you God, thought of ever putting bomb. blood inside of things? <laughs> have you thought of putting shrapnel inside of things? Let me tell you, the things you can put in a bomb to fuck with people, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. God, mm-hmm. yeah, and that that was what was really fun about it. I mean, in the other games, I, I guess I'll put it this way: they made so many features to do the things that the bombs could do in this game, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you wanted to distract people, yeah, you could do that in the other games. If you wanted to uh, make a sound like a certain distance away, whatever, all that kind of stuff yeah. was possible in some mechanic or another. But bombs were really at the forefront, and you could make the standard, you know, bombs that you could use, like you mentioned. But then there's also special bombs that you could make that do really mm-hmm. cool shit too. Yeah. And so when I, I remember this too from the initial reviews and some of the things that people were saying, they actually uh, almost everybody universally hated <laughs> the tower defense, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Bo- bombs, yeah. Bombs, yeah. Bombs, the bomb mechanics. I think that actually pulled a few more people in. Oh yeah. Because yeah, up to that point, because you wouldn't get any other complex crafting until three and four. So mm-hmm. here it was like yeah. This was actually something to kind of look forward to it for me at least, and and you can find different items along the way, and and there's rarity to them. So yeah, I thought mm-hmm. that was a really fun mechanic. Absolutely, and actually backtracking a little bit uh, to Brotherhood, uh, we've been talking all about just Ezio's journey so far, and we kind of let Desmond out of what's going on right now, because you have a very, very big cliffhanger at the end of Brotherhood between Desmond and Lucy. And we won't completely ruin that for you. You do end up... Desmond ends up in a coma, however, because of the events that happen at the end of Brotherhood with him and Lucy. And this is where, actually, of all of the games up to this point, Revelations, honestly, I kind of think is, is the weakest in terms of the Desmond story. You do get a lot of it. But the way it's packaged of him kind of in the somewhere between his own consciousness and what's going on with the animus itself. Interesting, but I like I don't know. Like I didn't didn't enjoy as much as actually going around and doing things um as Desmond before. So I feel like this one they put themselves in an odd spot and where it ends up is very good. Like I, I definitely end, I definitely enjoy where Desmond's story ends up at the end of Revelations, but yeah, enduring the story is also one thing where I think this game uh, kind of fails a little bit. I, I think there's a reason for that, and it's because Desmond at this point in the in the series 
he kind of feels like a clip show from a '90s mm-hmm. sitcom, right? Like if you if you've played all these games up to this point, yeah, of course you know what's going on with him. And frankly, everything that Ezio is doing trumps anything you care about with Desmond, right? He's just so cool of a character. Who gives a fuck what this this failed bartender's doing? <laughs> but when it comes to this game, they put this like little mini game that's a first person perspective. And you can kind of relive Desmond's memories through the Animus, mm-hmm. through like these fragmented uh, pieces, right? And so you get to understand a little bit more about him. And a lot of this does actually disclose things that we didn't know about him up to this point. Like there's a lot of stuff that's familiar, but there's a lot of stuff that we didn't know. And I, I really thought that that was a mistake because mm-hmm. the the core story that's interesting here is the connected history between Altair and Ezio. And so anything that was going on with Desmond was never going to be that interesting. No, it just wasn't going to be that way. Mm-mm. And so I think that's why it's there. I, I think that's why it's placed in this lazy format, that first person mini game that you can do where you're collecting mm-hmm. little animus fragments and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Right. Yeah. That's why that's there. That's why it's like that. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. So let's let's get away from that part of the story and let's focus on what <laughs> Ezio is now doing then. Because clearly this is where this is where the bread and butter is. This is this is the good stuff. It's picking home the bacon and all the food that you'd prefer to talk about right now. Uh what do you think of the story? Do we think because we've got we we're now in the Ottoman Empire fighting with the Byzantines and Ezio gets stuck right in the middle of it and this is the first time, I think, in the, the Assassin's Creed franchise where when you go to different parts of the city, different factions have different control of it. And they may be okay with you, or they may very much hate you. Uh, so what do you think uh, yeah. about the, uh, the story and revelations for Ezio? So first off, I'll say this. I think less people are familiar with the, the Ottoman Empire, the Byzantines, the Turks, and like the Eastern European struggles that have happened historically with Constantinople, Asia and Europe kind of having that bridge, right? I think that less people know what actually happened during this, this time period. And Hey, whatever. I don't know how you spent your history courses. I know how I spent mine. Mm -hmm. So what I thought was a, a big misstep here was the fact that they chose a side in the Ottoman and Byzantine conflicts. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, Ezio is right place, right in the middle of them, as 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 every assassin is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is the that is one thing I will say. Kind of gets. I I would say there's some points taken off there, and it's not because of the fact that Ezio wasn't doing what Ezio does. He's always wrapped up in political intrigue and you know serving out whatever means he has at that point in time. But for them to pick a bad side in that conflict. Yeah. I thought that was a mistake on the part of Ubisoft mm-hmm. because there's so many different ways that you can look at this actual conflict when it came to uh, the Ottomans, like uh, taking over areas of the world at that point in time, the fight over the throne, all that kind of stuff. So in, in less words, yes, they skinned their knees on this game from that mm-hmm. narrative. And instead yeah. of taking something that I think they truly understood, they instead needed to backdrop for presenting Ezio uncovering the past because Altair did come to Constantinople to try to do what Ezio is. That's why Ezio's there. It's it's the fact that 
Altair built this library in Masayaf and he left the keys in Constantinople. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there you yeah. have it. I mean, I will, I will freely admit that I, I do not know much about that part of the world's history during this time. And I think it's because I was always getting so caught up over the name change, over going from Constantinople to Istanbul. <laughs> and eventually someone just said, you know, that's no one's business but the Turks. So I just backed out of it at that point. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was coming. How could it not? <laughs> it's the truth, though. I mean, yeah. th- think about this way, all right? A lot of people know about the Borgias in Rome, right? Mm-hmm. There's TV shows made about it. There's fiction made about it. People typically have taken Western Civ or something, and they they got there. Mm-hmm. Same thing goes with, eh, I, I would say, a similar amount of familiarity with with the Patsy conspiracy. And because the Renaissance is obviously romantic, people love that part of Italy. It's It's less that you have to get caught up on. But in this game... I think it's cheaply used as a background. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it's dangerous and that people need to have like content warnings because of it. But the, 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 the best thing about this game is tying up the loose ends behind what Altair's purpose was in life. Mm-hmm. Because just like Ezio, he knew a lot of pain in his life. Yeah. I mean, Altair loses half his family. Uh, his father commits suicide when he's young. You know, so yeah. there's a lot of bad shit that happens to Altair. But the same thing can be said for Ezio. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you have all these, like, you know, these these lines that are coming together across time, that was what really was the, the core function of this game. Yeah. And I'll be completely blunt with you on this, Joe. I didn't give a fuck what was going on <laughs> with the politics of this game. Oh, God, no. Fir- no, 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 you don't. Yeah. Because first time I, I played think, it, get get me to Altair. That's, that's all I gave a yes. fuck about the mm-hmm. first time I played it. Going at Altair, and again, you going into knowing that this is Ezio's last hurrah, and you want to see how he goes out. And I also think, without giving away what happens, because if you haven't played this yet, and you go out and you pick up the uh, the Ezio trilogy, it is just such a well-written and developed ending for Ezio's story. And... I mean, you could even say it's like it's not the true ending because there is the short movie Embers, which did come out with yep. this with Revelations when it originally came out, and that's that's where you see old Ben Ezio finally pass away. But effectively, this is the end of Ezio's story as a member of the Assassins, and the way he goes out after he after he gets to a point in. Uh, tracing down uh, Altair's uh, breadcrumbs that he's left for everyone to find was beautiful. It was yeah one of the best well-written exits for a character in a video game series. I, I, I would I would personally think. Uh, I will tell a really quick story, and then it's time to get this review wrapped up because we've got yes. some, some points we got to give out. But yes, when it came to this game, that journey meant a lot to me. This this whole idea of wrapping up everything that we'd experienced for like six years, that that meant so much to me. Uh, that I literally cursed at my mom and my my then girlfriend <laughs> because I was playing the game and they're coming in and just having like a, a conversation where there's laughing and uh, I think there's trumpets involved and and possibly live animals <laughs> and and so I'm like sitting here trying to like take in all of this stuff that Ezio's going through at the end and like these major plot points and I'm looking around and I'm like. Can you guys leave? There's, there's like <laughs> six TVs story. in this house. 
It's like, yeah, there's six TVs in this house. This one has the most important thing going on it right now. <laughs> and y'all are fucking talking right here. Yes, I was glued, mm-hmm. absolutely glued to the, the finale of that game. And uh, to this day, it was, it was one of the few games that, that actually gave me tears. Not like, you know, full-on like elephant tears, but yeah. there, was, there, was some, there was some mist. My eyes are a little sweaty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love the way it ended. One of the best endings in a video game ever. Totally. So mm-hmm. I, I All right. unapologetically believe, believe that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, definitely go out and get this game. Give it a try for yourself. You need to see if you haven't experienced Ezio's story from start to finish. And even if it's a matter of, like, you're not going to play through to be a completionist. You just yeah. want to experience Ezio and his journey for yourself. Pick the game up. And now it is time for us because you can see Sully walking in the background. He may be queuing us up to, like, hey, dude, wrap this up. I got to go to the bathroom. Um, it's time for us to go ahead and review this. And... Because we've done before, we've used Hidden Blades, we've used Tomahawks to review these games. I think it's time we go Apples. And not not your Granny Smith, not your Macintosh, and certainly not your Red Delicious. But it is time for Apples of Eden. And that's how we are rating this game. Yes. And you know what, Joe? Normally you have the first crack at rating the graphics, which is our first mm-hmm. metric. I'm going to take a shot at it first this time. Go for it. Change things up just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to graphics, the Assassin's Creed franchise, obviously nowadays it's it's top of the line. It's one of the, it's one of the best made games you're going to find from a graphics standpoint. Mm-hmm. Wasn't really the case back when Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood, and Revelations came out. Now, it did get better. Mm-hmm. From one game to the next, right? Like there's there's a, a shot in Brotherhood where uh, Ezio is looking at his uncle Mario, and he's like in his study and he's staring at him, and it looks like you're looking at a real person, mm-hmm. like it looks like you're looking at an actual real person in CGI. Mm-hmm. So I'll give him that. It got better as it went, but in AC two, when you're going to talk to your dad and he's in jail and your dad puts his hands through the bars, it literally looks like someone said, "Hey, do fingers look like carrots?" And somebody went, yeah. I think but so, sure yeah. You, but make sure you put a fingernail on that carrot, okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and they he, are at least oh. baby carrots. They're not, like, coming to weird points. They are baby carrots. Yeah. They're just bulbous and thick. Yeah, we're not savages. But no, yeah, no, no. Yeah, it, it, was, it was not good. No. So I will say this. For graphics in the series, I'm going to give it, like, an aggregate for all three of them. Mm-hmm. But I, I got to give it a 375. Because yeah. I, I truly believe that's that's indicative of the entire series to that point. Yeah, completely. And I have to say, I winced a little bit when you started talking about Uncle Mario because I totally thought you were winding up for a bad joke when you said Uncle Mario was drawing you in. You got really close, and he was going to pass away in your arms. And just as he died, he went, Wah! And died, <laughs> yeah. but he didn't do that. No. You do get one Super Mario joke in the series yes, when you first you meet Mario, and Ezio's like, Who's the, who are you? It's me, Mario. And I'm like, ah, okay. This guy right here, giving the bad uncle jokes. Yeah, you're okay. a funny guy, huh? Yeah, funny, guy, funny guy, funny guy. Yeah. 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 So going on to graphics then, um, I'm taking this from the standpoint that I, I don't know if when you when you gave it that rating, you looked at the games when they originally came out. I was going off of if you actually buy the remaster of the Ezio trilogy and that comes out. Um, I was looking at the metric of 
how a lot of times it doesn't get better. It, it doesn't, doesn't get, better. get better. It really doesn't no. get better. If anything, Carrot it fingers is, is still there. Still there. Still very much there. And I mean, it's still like like you buy the uh, like to me like the standard of the collection on a single disc is always going to be the Nathan Drake collection. And even when you look at that, when you're compressing that many games onto a single disc, even though it's on the next gen platform and most of the games are on the previous, actually no, all of them are on the three. Uh, those games are not as pretty on the Nathan Drake collection as they were back on the three. And this is this is the same same thing. Uh, even like in in their time, they had their moments where they looked pretty, and others where they were rough. And now you've put them all together onto one disc. And again, you're doing the same. You're compressing data, despite the fact that you can you can read it better. Um, and still, I think the graphics go down a little bit. So I'm just going to give this a three five um, oh, wow. with mine. Yeah. Right. Okay. No. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Well, making our way over to gameplay. How do you think the gameplay stands up for this trilogy? Um, gameplay. I mean, this is something where. I don't think they actually actively improved gameplay from the original games when they came out to the remaster, which is fine. You don't have to do that if you don't want to. You don't have to fix bugs that aren't there. Uh, and hopefully you don't get any new bugs show up that weren't there in the first set of games. Sorry, Connor. It happened, and I'm still sour about it. But um, as far as gameplays goes, I am still going to say that 3 is the gold standard for gameplay, and that... The mm-hmm. way, especially like with combat, like Connor's combat system, in my mind, is the, the creme de la creme of the Assassin's Creed franchise. And when you get Ezio from being a step above where Altair was, to then a step above to where Ezio was before, to then kind of being a lateral motion in the third game, because... I don't think combat gets any better, and it also doesn't really get any worse when you go from Brotherhood to Revelations. The chain kills are still there. The hook blade mechanic is pretty fun, and it changes up combat a little bit. But by and large, still pretty much there. I don't hate it. I also don't love it as much as I do with Connor. So here I'm going to go, like, out of 5, I get 3.75 for... And I take that back. I'm going to take it back a little bit, and here's why. Because me doing it just off of combat isn't fair. Because the games, like, the games they're handling, like parkour and free running, they they say it gets better every game, and I think it ebbs and flows between games in the series. By and large, I think it does pretty well in 2, does all right in Revelations, and does really well. I'm sorry, does all right in Brotherhood, does really well in Revelations. And I think that steps it up. Um, there's plenty to do in these games as far as content goes. So I will mm-hmm. go with a solid 4.25. I don't oh, think we've wow, ever given okay. a 0.25 before, but I'm, it's going to be the first. Ezio did it. <laughs> the first t- 0.25 in a game. In a game review. So, uh, so here's the thing. If you've never played this game before, if you've never played this trilogy before, that the escalating series of things that they learn from they don't perfect anything necessarily, but they definitely try new things and they improved upon the initial model that they had in one, right? Mm-hmm. Now, as it's remastered, they didn't add anything new, right? They, like you mentioned, it's not like they were fixing a whole lot of things. They pretty much just updated it for looking a yeah. little bit more sleek. So yeah. for me, the core gameplay, still very fun. And 
I don't think you can really add the story to the gameplay, right? Mm-hmm. If you if we're talking story, you and I are giving that fives no matter what. I'm guessing. Oh yeah, it's a four seven mm-hmm. five. But for gameplay, I think I'm kind of in the same place that you are. I was going to give it a four point out of five. Right. Apples of Eden, because there yeah, I mean it, it's 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 a good core amount of gameplay, and mm-hmm. it's still just as good as it was when it first came out, you know, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to replay value. Now, I'm not going to rate this as high as I normally would because mm-hmm. I know that not everybody plays a game the same way that I do. Now, I know you're probably laughing a little bit because, yeah, you play it for the trophies and then you hit it and quit mm-hmm. it. But the Assassin's Creed <laughs> series, is, and especially mm-hmm. these three, this is one of those few games where like, I've gone back for seconds, I've gone back for thirds. Mm-hmm. I went back for that fourth where you're like, oh, man, I, I don't know how this is going to digest. So I have played these games multiple times over. Sometimes I would find things that I didn't even do. Like in Assassin's Creed 2 and, and Brotherhood, there's there's extra things that you can tack on, like DLC and free mm-hmm. free DLC. I never even played. Yeah. I didn't even know it was there. So I think the, the replay value is pretty good, even if you've played mm-hmm. it before and, and didn't know about that. So I'm going to give this another 4.0 out of a possible okay. 5. Nice. Um Looking at it from again the trilogy standpoint, it's I don't I think replay is hard to do when you're looking at like collection games like this because one like are you saying are you going to sit down and replay all three games each time you do it? Are you going to have your Uncharted Summer like this idiot and uh, just want to do it all the time? I don't think everyone is is in it quite like that. However. What you can do is, now that all three of them are in the same convenient location, is if you just wanted to play one again, or play a couple of them again, it is nice that they're both there. And I think uh, Revelations being a shorter game, not like, it's not, again, like using Uncharted as the metric again, it's not like Lost Legacy short. It is longer than that. It was long enough you could justify paying a full price for Revelations when it came out, as opposed to a discounted one. But I do feel like the story is shorter. Um, collectibles, there are still, there's still a lot, but I don't feel like I was ever overwhelmed by them uh, in yeah, this game. The feathers are gone, I you agree. get fractals instead, um, and yeah. that's there. So in the event that like, you do need that Ezio fix, you want to get a part of his story again, it is nice that you could pop in one disc and pick from any part of his story that you want to. Uh, yeah, and yeah. For that reason, as opposed... And again, Assassin's Creed games are long. Even if you just play them for the main story, that's, that's quite a commitment getting through the whole thing. So because of the length of an individual game, but still being able to actually pick up the story from anywhere you want to, I'm going to go with a 3.75 on this. Because I, I do think that I went lower when I did like my favorite game, Assassin's Creed 3. That's because, again, like it's just a really, really long game. And yeah. I don't have quite as much fun as being like is going Nathan Drake and going through things in the Assassin's Creed franchise, even though I do really, really do love it. Um, and granted again, I also own three on every platform, not every platform, at least every generation that it's come out and I've played it in all generations and I, and I really do enjoy it. Um, so just not the same though. Like I play it once and I'm done or I, I finish up your trophies and then I'm done. Uh, mm-hmm. So this game Kind of in that same realm, except it's it's tripled. But at the same time, if, if you really do love Ezio, it's just fun to be able to pick up a story anywhere you want to. Well, how about 
picking up the music, Joe, the final metric, which is sometimes decided whether or not something is mm -hmm. truly the top game in our retro reviews. And here, here is where I feel like it will be the opposite of Tomb Raider. <laughs> so whereas we may have gone lower in some areas, my God, the music in this... Revela I don't know how you don't give it a freaking perfect score for the Revelations theme song all by itself. Oh my god. Like that like that song I will put on during my preps at work when I just need to be alone and I don't want anyone disturbing me and I need to collect yeah. myself and think and get ready for my day or plan for the next day. That's the song that comes on. It calms you and at the same time pumps you up. And I don't, I, I mean, when you listen to it, you get it, but it shouldn't yes. work, and yet it does. So, for, you mean, just Revelation alone, the music is perfect. And when you go and look at Brotherhood and uh, looking at Two, the music's not forgettable. Like, it is so much fun trying to, like, even, like, chasing someone down, and suddenly the yes. music ramps up and gets you that much more excited to play the game. And while there's a lot of like, it's, it's, it's an open, like they're open world games. So like when you're just kind of, you know, spelunking around, there isn't much for music going on, except unless there's like, you know, uh, someone playing a liar out, not a liar, um, a, a minstrel out there doing something. Ezio's favorite members, members of society, by the way, minstrels. And oh, yes. Yes. yeah, great, great inside stuff with that. But even if you were to say that, like, okay, so Revelations is peak music, what about the other two games? The other two games' music is not in any any condition that it would be bad that would reduce the perfect score for me. Like, even if you could say, like, Revelations is the best, like, well, okay, the other ones may not quite be there, but they also, they're not horrible. Like, I can remember music from specific parts of the game. I remember the music pulling me into the game and liking it more. Like... The, the opening theme songs for every game are incredible. And then, like, I'm still going to, like, I'm going to almost want to be an asshole and throw in trailer music as a part of this. Because <laughs> the trailer music for Revelations was so freaking perfect that yeah. I wish I could somehow give this a 5+, plus, but it doesn't exist. It breaks the scale. And if it breaks the scale, <laughs> then you have to make new scales. We're not in, that, exactly. we're not in position to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> five out of five stars. Get out of here. We, I, I figured that's where you are going to go with it. Yeah, but here here's what I will say. Out of all of the video games I've ever played, I would never be able to name more than five songs. Mm -hmm. Okay, doesn't matter what game it is, I will never be able to name you five songs from a video game. This is the only franchise I've ever played where I can tell you five names mm -hmm. of music. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I mean, not just Earth saying, has to be one of the kickers. Like Earth has got to be a great song. Ugh. Yes, per kid. Mm -hmm. Yes, he did mm -hmm. Earth. He did Ezio's Family, which Ezio's Family has been remixed into almost every single game since. Mm -hmm. Right? He did Venice Rooftops, which is that chase song that you just mentioned. Yep. Right? In Revelations, you have uh, the Wounded Eagle. Uh, you have Master and Mentor, which is great. You have Animus Island. You have the Noose Titans. You have Son of Umar. A heated discussion. Byzantium, Oroko, there's so many fucking good songs mm -hmm. from that soundtrack. Yep. One of my favorites, though, comes from Assassin's Creed 2, which is used in Brotherhood, which is the Salvation of Forley. 
Yes. And that, mm-hmm. that is one song that I, I guarantee you people have heard, they just don't know the name. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the one of the best songs in this entire franchise. Oh yeah, so hands down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, it is no shock. I'm giving this a five point yeah. perfect score. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Jesper Kid's work on this franchise was brilliant. No one else has come close since. Mm-hmm. So, based off of that, Assassin's Creed: The Ezio Collection is not our top rated retro review of all time. That still rests with. Uh, the Walking Dead season one, which is our mm-hmm. our last retro review, but this still is in the top five. Uh, right. It actually comes in at eighty three percent, which actually Ooh. puts it ahead. This puts it ahead, Joe, mm-hmm. of Injustice. Uh, it puts it ahead of Tomb Raider, mm-hmm. Donkey Kong Country, and Assassin's Creed Three. Joe, yeah. your favorite. Mm-hmm. It is, <laughs> and again, I have no, I have no qualms with this being rate, with us rating this higher than three because. Again, this is this is definitely the Jeremy Clarkson like dog analogy. Whereas that's a German Shepherd, and it's brilliant. It's bred well. It does its job well. It's an amazing dog. But this is my dog, and he's my favorite. And that's Assassin's Creed Three. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I knew it was going to end up in in that middle ground. I knew it wasn't going to be the top rated game of all time, mm-hmm. but I knew it was going to be, you know, right in that meaty part of the curve. So. No shocker there. Brilliant game. And it's to a point now where it's it's more than just a game. It's 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 gaming history at this point. Mm-hmm. It's one of the strongest narratives you're ever gonna find in a video game series. And if you don't actually feel something with some of these moments that Ezio goes through, I've got to question what chamber of your heart is working at that point. Because yeah. <laughs> they're just that great. At least three are compelling. At least three are down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And with that, folks. We do thank you for listening to Digital Dissection. As always, we appreciate everything the Dissection crew does for us week after week, whether that's sharing a post, commenting, liking, subscribing, all that stuff. We do appreciate it. That support does go a very long way. But if you happened upon this show by accident, why not drop us a review? Tell us what you think about the show. You can email us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. You can message us about what robes you like the most out of the Assassin's Creed universe. Or if you just want to show us pictures of Ezio, we'll look at those too. Most likely like them. So we welcome your future ideas for shows as well and anything you'd like to discuss. And Joe, do you want to do your best Ezio impression to sign us off? Or do you want me to take this one for us? I I would feel as I was doing us a disservice if I did Ezio over you. So please, sir, <laughs> you, you take this one. Well, I'm going to pretend like I'm going to fight it, but I'm not fighting this at all. <laughs> you will not pull Caesar and deny me three times. <laughs> no, I've been waiting for this moment a long time. And until next time, keep on dissecting. And and don't try the leap of faith. There's not enough hay in any cart that's going to save you jumping from that distance. Just, just physics don't. just do not do not work mm-hmm. that high up. They just don't. No. Mm-hmm. He should be rightfully dead by now, as well as all assassins. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>